still going to be talking in our process about uh, the Ministry of Race and Reconciliation. And one of the key things or key aspects that um, has been helpful for a number of us is going through a process called Be the Bridge. Um, it's a curriculum written by uh, Latasha Morrison that really helps and encourages people to think about their own stories and their backgrounds and their upbringing and even where they currently are in the process. And so today what we're going to do is have a panel of five people that have gone through the process um, and really share stories. And so I'm just going to I'm going to read one of the central verses that we've been using to kind of frame this series and then share a couple of things. Um, and then after the panel shares, the reason why I was inviting you guys to kind of come and fill in that table is because if it ends up being just us, we're going to have time just to process some stuff at your tables together too after hearing. And then we're going to dinner together and just share kind of a family meal and enjoy being together. Um, and hopefully there's just still intentional conversation that carries over after what you've heard from the panel and what the questions will prompt you to share and talk about. But um, yeah, I'm going to read just one of the, the central verses that we've been working with um, at 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 to 21. And it's you know, Paul writing the church of Corinth, and we've talked about this a handful of times. Um, and he's talking really about this reality that We've been reconciled to one another because, first and foremost, we're reconciled to God in Christ, and therefore, those who have been reconciled to God are now given and invited the, really the call to be uh, ambassadors of reconciliation. And he writes like this He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, excuse me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. And so in there, yeah, you hear the word reconciliation a number of times, and really the key, again, premise that Paul's driving home is that it's Christ and what he's done in his life, his death, his resurrection, that's made this whole process of reconciliation that we've been talking about even, even possible. Um, and without being reconciled to God and understanding reconciliation in Christ, to talk about reconciliation between humanity and people, it's really not a foreign concept. Reconciliation is, it's a, it's, a, it's a Christian thing, if you will, in the sense of what it means to truly be reconciled and the ability for true reconciliation to happen. It really does require a need.
so to a great extent, estranged parties' ability to change places or to be reconciled and exchange perspectives with each other becomes a critical component of biblical reconciliation. So again, the idea of exchanging, changing places, hearing, listening, truly listening, hearing one another, and again, receiving what we have to say. So again, today's going to be part of that, an opportunity to change places, an opportunity to walk in someone else's shoes to a degree, if you will, um, in order to help us to continue to grow, you know, both our awareness and our acknowledgement. Uh, I've said throughout this series a number of times that really I believe that we're kind of in a, a season of awareness uh, as we've been talking about this. And just, uh, I've been hearing from different people in our community in different ways that, yeah, this is I Like, yeah, where do we talk about equity? Yeah, where do we talk about equality? We talk about those things. But we don't talk about it from a biblical perspective. We don't talk about it from the perspective of God's design and really what reconciliation looks like. Um, and so hopefully today, again, is another step of us becoming just more aware, uh, having more acknowledgement of the reality of issues and things going on uh, in our own hearts, in our own community at times, in the world, um, and that today we have that, that growing awareness. So, um, before I invite the, the panel up, um, I want to just kind of read for you these eight or nine topics that the people who are sharing have all gone through and processed in a safe place called, called Be The Bridge, through a Be The Bridge cohort or group. So, the Be The Bridge process is this, it, it takes you through um, awareness, Acknowledgement and lament, shame and guilt, confession, forgiveness, repentance, reparation, restoration, and reproduction. And so today I'm going to be asking questions, uh, the eight questions that I had sent to the people who are engaging on the panel ahead of time that have to do really with the, kind of those first six areas awareness, acknowledgement, lament, shame and guilt, confession, forgiveness, and repentance. Um, and we're going to just hear them share about elements of that from their own story and life and upbringing and how they're engaging it today. Um, and so yeah, I want to invite them to come up as they do that. Um, they're, they're choosing to be in a really courageous, vulnerable position. And so would you just, would you clap or something? Would you welcome, cheers, and do something that goes, yeah, we acknowledge
so I think that the biggest assumption from a different culture that has affected me is the assumption that like Asian Americans or my culture falls under the majority culture, even though like we're not necessarily the majority culture here. Often Asian Americans can act kind of like the majority culture. So um, I've been in different instances where, um, for example, some people think that Asians are not considered people of color. And um, I don't know, I think that just because we're not like necessarily the first ones to think of, when you think of people who are oppressed, um, it still doesn't really, I don't know, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And another, um, like kind of in that pot of ideas is uh, like in terms of like, let's say work diversity recruiting, um, there's often the thought that representation doesn't really, like we want representation, but it doesn't really count if um, they're Asian Americans, like we want to see something else, something different. Um, I don't know, clearly not everyone thinks that, but it's some things that I've seen and experienced, and um, yeah, it just makes me feel like uh, often Asian Americans are misunderstood, and like we're kind of part of popular culture, but we're also like, have our own thing going on, like, we still look different, we still eat different things, we still have like, our own thing that we can be like judged for, I guess, so. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Joel, I'll ask you to answer the same question, and um, I think what Joel's actually gonna do for us is read a lament that he wrote. Uh, one of the steps in the Be The Bridge process is actually lamenting after you have acknowledgement and awareness. It's, it's, a, it's right and it's necessary often to lament the things that we've experienced in this or that we even see out in greater culture. And so Joel is going to answer that question by sharing, reading his lament. Is that for me or for you? All right, so, um, yeah, let me read this lament. Um, the first time I read this in the cohort, I, I could bear it. I'm 100% American, 100% Vietnamese. I claimed this with pride growing up, but I was never 100% accepted in either culture. I was never American enough. Gook, chink, rice cake, pho, ching chong, go back to where you came from. Never enough for you, never the same as you. You like me, but not enough to date your daughters. You like me, but not enough to lead your communities. You like me, but only when it is convenient for you. Representation, diversity, inclusion, good story of an immigrant family. Use me for your feel-good stories. Use me to get over your guilt. Use me to make you feel less racist. That's cool. Don't worry about it. You're not alone. Vietnamese do it too. I was never Vietnamese enough. Mi Gong, American child. Mac Yong, lost your likeness. Mac Gop, lost your roots. Vic Gu, Vietnamese sojourner. Whitewashed banana. Never enough for you, never the same as you. You like me, but not enough to date your daughters. Until you need me to make sure that you're still Vietnamese. You like me only when it's convenient for you. Model Minority, Student Government Leader of the Year, All-Conference Honorable Mentions, Kiwana Student of the Month. Look what we Vietnamese can do. Use me for your feel-good stories. Use me to get over your guilt. Use me to make you less racist. That's cool, don't worry about it. You're not alone, Americans do it too. I'm 100% American, 100% Vietnamese. I claimed this with pride growing up, and I still do, but I never feel 100% accepted in either culture. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Joel. Be really vulnerable and honest to share that in the space with us. Um, similar question, uh, but different form of responding. Yes, we'll, we'll move on to uh, ask you. Um, 
could you tell us a story uh, about racism? Either something involving you personally or something that you've observed.
mean a joke uh, related to an Asian stereotype. Um, I think it was related to the stereotype of Asians being poor drivers. Um, and at the time, I made the joke, and neither Joel or Don really reacted or laughed at all. Um, ha, ha, ha. And um, I think that the, the thing that stands out to me from that memory is that I don't remember feeling ashamed that I, about what I had said as much as just like disappointed that Don and Joel apparently couldn't take a joke. Yeah, one of the cool things about to be the bridge with our staff team is that there's been a number of occasions where we've just processed things like this together and it's been an opportunity for us to work through the be the bridge kind of stages of the process of acknowledging what was said, lamenting together, and even then forgiving and repenting of those things, and it's been a beautiful uh, just process of that. So, um, yeah, Kel, thanks for sharing that here again, too. That's probably not easy. Um, none of this stuff is necessarily easy to share, and one of the things that each of you has touched on, and the reason why I had you even share your uh, place of birth and the culture that you identify with is uh, really partly uh, related to this question number three, um, that a few of you will answer. And it's how has your family dynamics, your family of origin, affected your perspective on race? What biases, whether implicit or explicit, do members of your family hold toward people of different ethnic groups? And what do you lament about your family in the areas of racial justice? So, um, Emily, do you wanna kick us off with that one? service 
to your community, helping those less fortunate, and working really hard to be successful, um, to make a better life for your kids and grandkids, and this strategy worked in a lot of ways. My, my, my grandpa and dad, you know, they were successful as businessmen, and, you know, we were the first in our family to go to college, um, in my, my siblings and I, um, but I see, you know, the huge downside is that it taught us to distance ourselves from the pain and hardship of our, our immigrant history and that of other immigrant communities. Um, a good example of this is with Cesar Chavez's um, United Farm Workers Union. It was, um, had, I mean, it had been started a while before. I was well before I was born, but when I, whenever we would see you know, picketers at the grocery store, we'd have to walk, you know, walk past them. You know, my grandparents, my grandparents and my um, my dad, you know, they never they never heard comments on it. They didn't talk about it, and it seemed they didn't take sides. Um, it seemed like a lot of the unspoken message was that. This, that was not the right way to go about it, that they're bringing like, like shame to our culture or that it's um, like reflecting poorly on us, they're causing trouble. Um, and so in regards to what I lament about my family, I initially lamented about a lot about like the masked shame behind that um, choice. And then after going through Be the Bridge, I was more just sad because I could see more um, their decision um, to make that choice for survival. So I remember very vividly my mom would tell me when we came back here, 
So my parents are in the Philippines, they were working there, and I lived with my siblings here in Clackamas, in a house. And my parents, my mom said specifically, never, do not ever do anything that would put her family to shame. Because if the word would get out, families, relatives in the Philippines would hear about it, and we'd, we would be embarrassed. So we would be put to shame, the whole family. So I, I always had that in mind, like, to, to watch out for myself, to, to be cautious about the things I do, the people I hang out with, the people I hang out with, the, the things that I post on Facebook or social media in general. I was always cautious. But um, being here um, in, in, in the US, I've, I've grown the mentality of God knows my identity. He, he knows that where I'm coming from and why would I have to not necessarily care, but to, to have grace and also there's redemption when I do something wrong, when there's mistakes that are made. So when if if or when I do have put shame in the family, I would specifically talk to the specific people of where I was coming from, telling them my story, telling them the background, so that they don't make assumptions. And if they do make assumptions, then it's up to them. God takes care of them and Joel, I'll invite you to answer that, that same question, just to speak about the, the context you grew up in versus that's communal versus Buddhist, like kind of shame, guilt versus honor. Yeah, so similarly, uh, I grew up in a shame-based honor system, and um, what I realized over the years, um, especially when I got to, I was taking a, a class on shame in seminary, and we talked about uh, the idea of shame and guilt and shame is like when you um, you feel like you're not good enough, like something in you is something's wrong with you. Where guilt um, based is you did something wrong and you can actually work your way if you and pull back the difference. But um, what I realized was that every time I would mess up or every time I would bring shame upon the family, you know, it would affect me. The moment I was like, there's something wrong with. And I, I'm not good enough, and I don't know how to ever make the difference up. And so even um, as a Christian, I was like, God's, God can't completely forgive me, right? Because um, there's something wrong with me inherently, and, um, and how can he be proud of me, right? And so I think that, that has been a long process of trying to allow God to heal and undo that idea of shame. Like, guilt's easy. You can just, like, pay it back and pay more. Right? The shame is always, there's something wrong, and it's affecting my whole family and the people around me. And so, um, allowing God to begin to change that has been a long process, and I still find myself coming back to when I don't perform the way I feel like I should. Um, I'm just not good enough. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And just for context for everyone that's listening, I, I don't think we often think about shame and guilt as being important aspects to consider when you're talking about racial reconciliation or you know trying to engage with one another in a process of reconciliation. But it really is key and central because the core way that you see what and understand what is happening and what might be going on in these relational dynamics, you're viewing it from two totally different ways of points of view, either a shame and honor culture or a guilt. Innocence culture, and so how you come to the table, and how you exchange uh, goods, and how you then see from another's perspective and step into their shoes and, and walk in their story is totally different. Um, and because of the, the process of reconciliation, the key step of it is forgiveness, which we'll talk about next. You have to consider and understand where you're coming from. Do I think about this as a shame-based thing, or do I think about this as a as a guilt-based thing? And so let's talk about forgiveness um, in this process. Let's do repentance first, actually. Um, what have you had to repent of during your journey of becoming more aware of the need for racial uh, reconciliation? And uh, Kel, if you want to kick us off with that one. So, uh, a couple weeks ago in our Eve Bridge meeting, I, we talked about this, and um, I, uh, 
I, w- I would not describe myself as an eager participant in Be The Bridge. Um, it was just sort of something that we were gonna do and I was like, okay, cool, like we're doing this, I'm sure it'll be great. And then like literally like first week, like first discussion question, just like completely blew me away how like raw and authentic and real and uncomfortable I had to be to answer that question. So um, I, I feel like every week, like since then, and this is I think literally what I said is, I don't necessarily dread this every week, but it's definitely not something that I'm like super stoked and excited to go do. Like I'm just really honest, it's very uncomfortable for me to be here. I spend most of the time looking at my shoes because I don't want to look anybody in the face and I'm afraid that the more that I talk, the more I'll be outed as just super ignorant and it's really uncomfortable for me. Um, and so, I have come to understand that part of my white privilege has been to ignore this conversation. Um, and again, like just to be really honest, um, I've, I've had moments of like, wow, I can't wait for this to be over. Uh, and I can just kind of go back to living a life of ignorance of this because it's uncomfortable for me and I, I don't like admitting where I've been wrong and I don't like being ignorant and um, and so I think my um, my repentance is just to really just continually have to because uh, repentance is like you're going one way and you turn and go the other way right? So the way that I really want to go is just, let's just get through this and move on to whatever our next sermon series or whatever it is going to be. Um, and my repentance is just to continue to just choose to turn into it um, and continue to, yeah, just face kind of my past and face the lack of knowledge and understanding that I feel like I have and just continue to. this uh, actual racism in me um, 
that I couldn't believe that people, white people could actually feel or experience the same thing that people of color had experienced. And so as we stepped in and I, and uh, the one, the, the thing that's been good is um, our space was so, so safe that uh, Kelly and Amy Miller are in our, in this group and they would share their story and share their repentance and their brokenness. And for me, it's going, okay, they, they actually feel what I'm feeling. I share my story and they're crying and they're like, I can't believe it. Like, I've done that, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, as a brother and a sister, like I can see that they feel my pain and understand my story a little bit better. And actually, I could, I'm comfortable with them actually stepping into my space and defending me or being a person that could, could actually understand the, the pain and the hurt of, um, of me as a person of color. I think the other piece of repentance is, like, I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of being a person of color, you know? And I, I take uh, advantage of that. You know, I, I use my Asianness and my Asian privilege as the model minority in spaces where, um, where it's to my advantage. And so I've started to be way more aware of that and having to just go, God, that's, that's not the right part. And, and so those are kind of the two areas where I'm learning to grow and um, repenting of and just saying, that's not that's hard. And I need to change that. So the other side are closely related to repentance and its forgiveness. And um, Osdell, you would uh, share, and I believe Osdell's written a lament. Part of the process of going through the Media Bridge is, again, that each person writes a lament or is invited to uh, in response to the awareness of the effort that's come. And so um, Osdell's going to read hers as a way of uh, sharing with us just the way she's had to consider both repentance and then forgiveness and extending it uh, in different spheres of, of life. So I'm going to share with you three scenarios that happened kind of recently. So I used to work. Um, in a clinic that served, a primary care clinic that served uh, the underserved population. And a previous coworker of mine, she had shared to me that she was in a meeting with her boss along with other coworkers. And they were talking about how to check in refugees. So um, she was sharing to me that refugees, a lot of times, they don't know their real birth date. So they would just put a January 1st and an approximate. So we were trying to figure out how to check them in and they had suggested about doing photos. So taking their photos and they would be the patient. And so that's how we need to differentiate. And then the boss um, commented, well not to be racist, or, so this, sorry, this boss is Caucasian. The boss said, well not to be racist or anything, but don't we all look alike? And so, um, this coworker who, who shared this to me, she, she, she's Mexican, so she's Latina, and, but she has, um, she, she, I think she identifies as more American. She's moved here when she was young. And so she and another coworker, during that meeting, after hearing that comment, um, they just looked at each other. Obviously, like, awkward silence. But it, no one else commented, okay? No one else commented in that meeting. No one else said anything. No one called her out. And when I heard that, when she, this was all the right after me, when I heard that, I was, I was angry. I was outraged at how, at where she was coming from, at what kind of comment, what kind of insensitive comment that was, and how someone else would feel. Um, and so from then on, when I, when I passed by her, I, at that time, when I still worked there, I, Distance myself, like I like start, started not talking to her. I started not almost acknowledging her presence by just how how mean that was that comment. And I, I told my coworker like, has no one ever called her out on that? Like that's such a terrible thing to say. And she said that it, she's been called out multiple times by higher ups, and nothing has changed. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I 
went to the Ruby Theater recently with my younger sister, Austin Well. Uh, we were gonna watch, we watched Overcome, or Overcome, Overcome. Uh, it's a Christian movie, and we walked into, we walked into the theater, and there wasn't a lot of people, you could count the people who were there, it was kind of empty. Uh, but all the people who were there were older Caucasian couples, uh, like grandpa and grandma's age, and um, as I was walking up to the stairs and looking for my seat, I had this inner thought. This inner thought told me, why aren't there any more person of colors in this theater? Why aren't there, why is it only with us two? Number two, I had the inner thought of them thinking, what is this girl doing in this theater? Does she understand English enough? Does she, does she know what we're watching? Is she a Christian? Is she here to judge us? And so I had these inner thoughts and I realized that the devil was playing with my head, that these were spiritual warfare, uh, that this was spiritual warfare, and the Lord took a hold of my heart that also you're thinking these things and you don't know what they're thinking really. This is the devil talking. And so I, I started noticing that I was doing that, that I had this almost hatred towards like hateful comments towards me when they're not outright said. They're just things in my head. So number two, uh, number three. When I was driving um, this past week, I was on the turning lane, turning right. And there was a car on my left coming to my lane to turn and I didn't let him pass. I looked at the driver and the driver was African American. When he had passed behind me, I looked in my rear view mirror and, I, and I, that's when I saw that he was African American. I thought to myself, he's gonna, put, he's gonna show me the finger and he's gonna do this. Like, you know when you do this and you're like kind of road raging? But he didn't, he didn't do that. He, there was nothing, he didn't do anything. He didn't smile. He just went on his merry way, and I went on my merry way, and I just turned. And so when I thought about these three, three things, three, three scenarios, I thought to myself that I was becoming like them. And by them, I mean those who actually verbally outspoken say hateful comments, and anyone, it doesn't matter if it's white or Anyone who's saying hateful comments, but I was becoming like them. When it used to be, I hate it when people do that because it hurts. But I was realizing that I was becoming like them. I was starting to, even though I'm not outright saying verbally these comments, that I was starting to think that way. And um, the Lord knows my heart, and He knows that I, you know, have pain, and there's healing to be done. And I needed to ask for forgiveness. For anyone here who identifies as Asian, American, African American, Hispanic, whatever it may be, I ask for forgiveness because I have thought in my head hateful comments and biases towards you. I'll be honest, that is not what I thought you were going to be processing and sharing in terms of what I meant. And forgiveness associated with it, but thanks for being brave and courageous to take a moment right now just to ask for forgiveness. I think in this process, I think more and more we're all realizing and learning that we are too just like them, or just like you, and the things that we think, and whether it's said or unsaid, how stuff because of our family of origin, upbringing, culture, all of that uh, plays in, and, and I think we need to be far more aware, and yeah, ask for forgiveness more often than we do, so thanks for modeling that course even. Um, let's go with um, Emily. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about through Media Bridge too is just a lot of times we, because of where we grew up, because of culture, all that, we think even our work environments that some of you have spoken to, we think we know what healthy uh, like interracial or multi-ethnic relations are, relationships are. 
microaggressions are safe or not safe, you know, the things that are said or done. What, what have you been learning or what have you learned through this process uh, about, um, yeah, what, what, is, what does it look like to be engaged more in a healthy multi-ethnic relationship? So as awkward and as uncomfortable as it may be, actually asking questions to clarify for understanding and to listen with empathy and to engage in the conversations has been super helpful and more important than ignoring it or not engaging is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I feel like we got past the like uncomfortable part now. It's like, hey, this is about to be awkward. We're going to talk about race thing real quick. But like, and then you ask and it's like, hey, I think the day it's still And so then kind of last, lastly, question, um, and again, like Jess, Kelly, you all said you, you could be able to kind of speak to this if you wanted. How is God leading you to become more engaged with the process of racial reconciliation, and what are your next steps?
to <coughs> distance ourselves from things that are different, like how the root of what creates prejudice and difference and distance, um, and how that affects us in, in the body of Christ. Um, so it was a really powerful processing that, um, and I hope we can do more book clubs in the future as our MC or with others. And then the main thing that I'm um, excited about next is uh, Be the Bridge has a whiteness intensive training that Wendy told me about, and that I signed up for, and I just really encourage anyone who's at all curious to look into it, and I really want to be processing that with other people, so that's my invitation if anyone um, wants to pass that along with other people. Give each of them a hand. Just for... 